0: believe that, say amen. It's a great, great song. Thank you, Walter. You can be seated. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Chris. Praise the Lord. I was reading uh, several places in the Scriptures this week, but uh, I love the Gospel of John, so a lot of times when I'm doing my reading, I, I pick the Gospel of John. We're not in the Gospel of John, by the way. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5. And when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, stick your finger there. Okay, And I want you to go back to Ephesians, I won't read Ephesians 4 again, but go back to Ephesians 1. But anyway, um, we want to talk about salvation, and talk about the new birth, and what it means to be saved, and what it means, what not only what Christ did, but what's happened to me and you in being saved. You know, he... We say that Christ saved me from my sin. He didn't save me in my sin. He saved me from my sin. So part of being saved is it changes your life, right? The Bible calls that the new birth. Uh, Sometimes it uses the word new genesis. The word genesis, beginning, new beginning. uh, New life, born again. All these terms we use to describe... What happens to our lives when we are saved or we are born again, but in John chapter five, just as an illustration, an interesting encounter that Jesus had was with the lame man John five, I think he had been lame for thirty eight years, and he had there's a pool right outside uh the city of Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda, and it has some covered porches and so a lot of beggars and a lot of invalid people would be left there. It was a good place to beg. But the the tradition was, is an angel, this is a tradition, this didn't happen, but this is a tradition, that an angel would descend and stir the waters. And if you got in when the waters were stirred, you would be healed. And so Jesus asked a man, now think about what Jesus asked him. This is a whole theological, you can There's a whole lesson about this, but it's profound. The Lord Jesus asked a man who had been lame for 38 years. He asked him this. It's almost weird what he asked him. Do you want to be made whole? See, just because this man was at the pool at Bethesda and had been there many, many days for over a course of 38 years, that wasn't... That wasn't really saying that he wanted. There's a part of him that probably didn't want to be made whole. He had become used to that kind of life, so it's odd to me that the Lord would ask a man, after 38 years of being an invalid, "Do you really want to be made whole?" And and now let's talk about salvation spiritually. For those of you who may not know Christ, I say to you, do you really want to be made whole? Or would you rather be sick in sin the rest of your life? And the Bible says, and die in sin. And pay for your own sin by being punished uh, in a place called hell. Do you really want to be made whole? I pray you do. And even in a, even in a crowd this size, there's somebody here that's not saved. You've never been born again. You know, in just a few weeks, we'll celebrate Easter. The resurrection, celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Good Friday, He died. Easter Sunday, He was resurrected from the dead. And power over the grave, power over death, and power over sin. I mean, we—do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, that's the question this morning. So, your Bible's open to Second <clears throat> Corinthians five, and then you—you did what I asked. You flipped back to uh, Ephesians chapter one. I want to read Ephesians 1 first because I just, I'm not preaching on Ephesians 1. I just find this just incredibly insightful when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. Um, Ephesians chapter, I went the wrong way, sorry. Ephesians chapter 1 says this Ephesians 1, um, look at verse 15. I, sometimes it's hard just to take something out of context like this, but he's talking about salvation. Verse 11 says, In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. Verse 15 says, There's so much salvation. <clears throat> For this reason, Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for You, remembering You in my prayers. Now, now think, think what Paul's been praying about. Folks, I've been here twenty, almost 22 years. And it, it grieves my soul that so many people... have come through the sanctuary and have left unsaved. That bothers me. I, I don't know how many there are. But based on Scripture, it's obvious that there's been hundreds, if not thousands of people who have come through our sanctuary and have left our sanctuary and are without hope. They're lost. This is Paul talking about for those of us that are saved. He's praying for saints. He says that the, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Just think about how many of us have this overwhelming desire to know Him. You know, Paul says, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to experience the power of the new birth. Yes, transformation. But also I want to be acquainted with His sufferings. I want to identify with Christ and I want the world to treat me like it treated Him. Let me go back and read verse... Uh, 17 again, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance. In the saints. His glorious inheritance in the saints. The saints are a gift from the Father to the Son. Saved people are a gift from God the Father to the Son. And it's part of the Son's inheritance. To have all these people regenerated and eventually transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then he says... And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? And then he tells us what kind of might that was. Talking about his work in us to be saved. That and this is he defines the work. And, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So, when you believe God released power according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand. So, the power that God released to resurrect Christ from the dead is the same kind of power that's been released to transform you from being a dead sinner to a saint with life. Isn't that amazing? God released an an immense and immeasurable, Paul says, an immeasurable amount of power when you and I got saved. And what, excuse me, and what, let me just say this. I I said this 10 years ago, and I'll say it again, and I want to say it again. The reason I get hoarse all the time is I've had my throat cut on a bunch. You know, if you have neck surgery, that's one of the consequences. So, he told me this is going to happen, and she's going to get me some water and <clears throat> that's that so that's why this happens, even when I teach on Wednesday nights. the first thing I do is start losing my voice, but anyway, you'll forgive me for for talking horse, but um but that's why it happens anyway so let's let's hear what Paul says about this new birth let's just go back to second Corinthians chapter five second corinthians second Corinthians chapter five and i <clears throat> I think about what Peter was able to say at the Jerusalem Council, which was nearly two thousand years ago. Uh, You know, we're about thirty years removed from it being two thousand years ago. But when when he tells when he tells those pastors and apostles that God, you know, sovereignly chose him. Now Paul was Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. But there was a period of time that Paul that God spoke to Peter and Peter went to the Gentiles, Cornelius and some other Gentiles and and it was a, and so the great thing is is that just at thank you so much Sonia, just as God saved the Jews and transformed their life by the power of the gospel, he was doing the same thing for Gentiles that's you so God by the preaching of the gospel, Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So the only way you can get saved is by hearing the gospel. But the power of God that, that saved Jews is the same power of God that saved Gentiles. And what Paul says in Ephesians 1 is that God released an incredible amount of power when you got saved. And because of that power, what Paul argues in 2 Corinthians 5 is, is every person that's had that, I want to say experience, that's really not the best word, but every person who's had that encounter with the resurrected Christ and the power of the gospel has become a new creation. You know, Paul's going to say in verse 17, if anybody is in Christ... You ever thought about if you're not in Christ, who are you in? Of course, now Jesus says the devil is your father, but if you're not, and you're in sin, I heard somebody say that. So if you're not in Christ, you are in sin, or you could say you're an Adam. In sin, you're, in, you're an Adam. Sin, you're, you're cursed. You're, you've, you, you still have inherited Adam's sin, and you're cursed. So if you're not in Christ, I mean, you're out of Christ, but if you're not in Christ, you are in sin. And you can answer this. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through His Son. That's part of the Roman road of salvation. So Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about salvation. And uh, I'm going to read all of, a good portion of of Second Corinthians five. It just talks about so many different things, very deep things. So, but the focus is going to be on the latter half of chapter five. But let me just read. So your Bible's open to uh, so Second Corinthians chapter five. Before I read it, <clears throat> I happen to look up the word gospel. Uh, both is uh, you know if you say to preach the gospel. Or to herald the good news, the verb. Okay, and then you have the noun, uh, good news. So, if you combine, if you combine those numbers, it really doesn't matter. But you think it appears, I think, hundred and twenty-five or so times, hundred and thirty times, in the New Testament, where we have this word, good news. And really, it's two words in the original language put together. Uh, like I, I, uh, when we have the funeral tomorrow I don't see oh, there's Dale part of the fam- I know Ryan will be a part of it, and, but in, uh, Jeremy will be here and some of what they'll do from the pulpit is share a eulogy. Eul- eulogy is the word "EU. E.U. means "good, Logos is word. So they're going to share a good word. About Miss Betty. That's what a eulogy is. You share good words about somebody that's passed. Well, the word for gospel, the word is euangelion. It's the word eu, e-u in the Greek. And the word angel, angelos. So it's good message, right? An angel's a messenger. Or it's good news. So we say the gospel is good news. It's good news because... We're sinners and we need to be saved. And just listen to some of the I looked up some of these verses and it says that it's the gospel of God's kingdom. I like that one. We are to proclaim the to the gospel to the whole world. That's in Matthew twenty six. The Bible says we're to repent and believe the gospel. Do you realize what the Bible says about the gospel? That the good news of Jesus Christ is what you have to believe in in order to be saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by God's word. And God saves by the gospel message. By the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. So we're to repent and believe the gospel that Christ came and died for sinners and He wants to transform your life. He just doesn't want to save you from going to hell. He wants to transform your life and give your life meaning. Robbie read, I know I'm chasing a rabbit, but Robbie read a passage about talking about the darkness of the Gentiles. One of the things that we've studied on Wednesday nights is, is how, and you've heard me say this having a biblical worldview, from the, since the Tower of Babel, the nations, God rejected the nations because they, they rejected him. And, and he eventually calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make of you my people. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to make of you my people, my great nation. So he disinherited, it's what the Bible says, he disinherited the nations. So those nations have gone their own way. And what was supposed to happen in the Old Testament was the Jews would be so devoted to the God that saved them, number one, to the God that created them, Abraham and Sarah, Just he made a people miraculously that that the Jews would be so grateful for him creating them and saving them from bondage that they would do anything he said. And he made them a nation. They started as a family and they ended up a nation. But they disobeyed him. And rather than telling the nations around them about the God that saved them, they ended up worshipping the gods the other nations worshipped which were foreign gods and they were in darkness. Well, those nations are still in darkness. Everybody that's not saved, the Bible says, is in darkness. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The light, the Bible says, the light of the glorious gospel. They need, and that's how folks are saved. You know, it's not geographical now. We're not just a one nation where Israel... We're believers. We're a holy nation that occupy the entire planet Earth. Believers are everywhere. And how we got saved was we heard the gospel and how other people are going to get saved is they hear the message of Jesus Christ. We call on people. I call on you today to repent and believe the gospel. Do you know the word gospel, the first time it appears in the, in the New Testament? Jesus is preaching It's in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4. It says Jesus was preaching the gospel. So he was preaching the good news that you could be saved. Anyway, we're to repent and believe the gospel. It's called the word of the gospel. We're to testify of the gospel. Interesting, and we lose ourselves in it. We become the idea of martyrdom in the sense that we... We testify, we abandon ourselves, and we sell out for the gospel. We testify to the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1. We obey the gospel, Romans 10. It's the ministry of the gospel. All of us have been given the ministry. So what, what ministry do you have? What service do you have? Well, you have the ministry of the gospel. The Bible says you can distort the gospel. That's in the book of Galatians. In Ephesians 1, later on, it's the gospel of our salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that we've been entrusted with the gospel. Everybody who's saved God has entrusted you with the gospel message of His Son. 2 Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy to suffer For the gospel. Folks need to hear the gospel to be saved. And what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 is what happens when somebody hears that gospel and is saved. For we know, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know that if the tent we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, every funeral I've ever been a part of, John hadn't been long ago since we buried your son. And I, I think about when, we, when I go to a funeral or do a funeral the most important thing in the world is that god saves sinners right let me say it. right that's that's when you know it is appointed a man wants to die then after that the judgment so either you've accepted christ's gift and he was judged for you or you're going to be judged it matters and here it says that those of us that know Christ, right now we're in a tent, but but one day we have a building that's made by God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, right? Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And what, he, what he's talking about is... Um, The other side is more than just floating around with a like a a spirit. Without, there'll be a real you in the afterlife, a real human, not a real you glorified. So it's it's not you're just some not mystical uh, mist floating around in eternity. So he says, we we want to be clothed with Christ's righteousness now, but when we get to the other side, we want to be further clothed. We don't want to be naked. We want to be further clothed with Christ's righteousness. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So all believers are going to go through that process. So Paul says, "So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are are in home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So if we're in this body, we're away from the Lord. So, so what happens when this body, when life in this body ends, is when." You are set free to be in the presence of the Son of God. So he says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are in home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what we'd rather be, Paul says. We'd rather be out of this body, and we would rather be with the Lord. And something else that Paul's mentioning there is is that he had great hope that he would not experience physical death, but that he would experience the rapture. That that you know he would experience the the the, the catching away of believers and. He would not experience the tent folding in you know, through death. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. By the way, the Bible says that we're preparing. If you think about this, one day we're, we're going to meet face to face the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That appears two times in, in Corinthians, okay? Because in Corinth there was a judgment seat. And it was a judgment seat that had to do with athletics. In the, in the field of competition. And so it was about rewards. It wasn't about condemnation. It was about victory and rewarding accomplishments. That's what you did from the judgment seat. So, so just know as a believer, everybody who's been saved will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account of what we've done in the body. Because He owns us. We've been born again. He owns us. We've been bought by the blood. And we are His slaves. Let me ask you something. Could you imagine? Again, I don't mean to be ugly. Okay? I, sometimes I am ugly, okay? But I try not to be. Can you imagine an earthly slave telling his master, I'm not going to do that? How many times would that happen? Once. Think, now just think. I think about this a lot. Cuz I hear some of the most pathetic excuses for not following Jesus. You know today it is Sunday. But what day is this? Lord's day. I'm not attacking anybody that's not here, but I want to ask you, how many people told their master, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, rather than what the book says, the master's book says we should do? And and that's just the beginning. What I'm saying is amazing what we've accepted as as acceptable Christianity, but we're going to meet, and, and listen, this is where the, you know, when we think about when we meet Christ, we give an answer. Like the judgment seat, there they would give out you know laurel wreaths for the victor or something. But there's the Bible says for believers, there's crowns, and also in that there's five crowns: uh, the crown of life, crown of rejoicing. But in in Revelation it says that our deeds, uh, Revelation nineteen eight, I think says that. Our deeds adorn our, our, our linen, our fine linen garments that are given. God gives us a, a, a marriage linen, a, a marriage dress, a wedding dress. Each of us get a white symbolically a wedding dress, but we adorn that. We adorn our, our robe of fine linen linen with deeds, with righteous what so says righteous deeds. So we're preparing to meet the master. And we're his slaves. So there's there is an accounting coming. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known, but what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. That has to do with a, an earlier issue with people that talk bad about Paul behind his back and his authority. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. You know, so if, Paul's saying if people think we've lost our mind, it's... it's. Now he could be talked about speaking in tongues, you know... That scene with somebody... Because it says that if there's not an interpreter, people will think you're crazy. But I think he's talking about being a follower of Christ. The world will look at that as if you've lost your mind. So he says, so if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of right mind or if we are of sound mind, it's for you. If we make sense, it's because we're ministering to you and you're a believer. And then he says, for the love of Christ... Controls us. Not not my love for Jesus. Lord I wish that was true. But I'm weak. But he says the love of Christ. Uh, some translations say the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ controls us. Great word. Um, so think about being saved. It's... There, there's a responsibility we're going to be accountable. But then also he controls us. The love of Christ controls us. His love for me controls me, Paul says. It, 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 it makes me want to obey him. It makes me want to surrender to him. It makes me want to... Sign. So the love of Christ controls me. Because we have concluded that... Concluded this, that... One has died for all. This is where the idea of a vicar. Therefore all have died. That's what we consider. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and, and rose again. So it's this idea of substitution of Christ as a substitute for everybody and he died for, for man of all. You know all nations, and and so, uh, so. But for some of the people that he died for, they actually meet him and have life. That's what he's talking about. But here's the whole thing. We only have five minutes, but I want you to look at verse uh, sixteen and seventeen. This is the whole thing. boils down to this: what happens? What happens to everybody who's been saved and born again? What? What? This is Paul describing. What happens to every individual who is, is saved by the power of Christ? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It's insane, you know, so it's not about skin color. It's not about uh, ethnicity. Everybody's a sinner. This is what Paul's saying. Because Christ died, he died for anybody in the world. So we don't look at people according to the flesh, and he mentions even though we knew Christ in the flesh at one time, he was a Jewish man, but we don't know him that way any longer. Is what he said. But then verse seventeen and seventeen and eighteen is where I want to just stop for just about two minutes. He says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if any you this could not be." Nor, more emphatic, or it could not be any clearer. Therefore, if any person, any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And, and the idea, you compare the words with the Septuagint, you know, but the words, it, it's using the same words if you compare the Hebrew of Genesis 1 to the Greek of 2 Corinthians 5, it's the same word when God made something from nothing in Genesis 1 through 3. God did a creative work when he saved us from our sins. We were dead and he made us alive. But he not only made us alive, he transformed us He made something that never existed before. Uh, Robbie read where it says, put off the old and you put on the new. That's in Christ. You put on the new. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's talking about a transformation of life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Um, You know, this Paul says to the the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Yet I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. That's what he's talking about there. It is you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then he he says this incredible statement. All this, talking about this new creation, uh, this new creation, this new calling, he says, all this is from God, so God has when you were saved when I was saved at sixteen, God stepped in time and space, and he did it all you know the uh, you know Jesus says you know you didn't call me, but I called you uh so God stepped in eternity, stepped in time and space from eternity, and he saved me and he saved you at a point in time in history. And it just says that all things are of God. So everything that I know now is is about what God has done in saving me from my sins. It's part of making me a new creation and really it's about what I've now become. This Not only a new creation with a you know new control that I'm controlled by Him, but in a new creation, but that I have this new calling. And I finish with this. He says, "All this is from God." So what would so since I've been saved, born again? Look what says, "All this is from God, who through Christ." reconciled us to himself, so I'm no longer an enemy of God. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he tells us what the ministry of... So what it is, is we now all are ministers of reconciliation. A synonym of ministers of the gospel, but we're ministers of reconciliation. And this is what it says. That is, you want to know what a minister of reconciliation does... That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So now it's our calling because God controls us because God created us our new calling is we want to go tell other people this is what we want to tell them please be reconciled to God. And we tell them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, everything's new in Christ. He controls me. Paul says that He controls me. He creates me. And in all this miraculous stuff he does, He He gives me He gives me a, a, new, a new calling. It, is this you? Not, um, it, just think of this. I, um, I was reading, um, and I will finish with this. I was reading in the Old Testament when they built the tabernacle. Now, that's the tent. Uh, not the temple, the tabernacle when they built the tent. Now, this is in the desert. And God, God... Gave Moses the the plans, and they built this tent, this portable tent of worship, called the tabernacle. And they would travel with it when God would lead the pillar, and they would travel when the the cloud and pillar of fire by night. When they would travel, they'd travel, the, and then when they God would stop, they would stop and set the tent up as a place of worship. And then and then the tribes would gather around the tabernacle. They did it everywhere they went. But think about this. God gifted. There was two guys um, that God gifted, and those two men were. He says were craftsmen, and then they taught all these other men to be craftsmen. And 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 right there in the now, think these were these were people that were saved out of Egyptian slavery, and it's not long out of slavery they're called to build. The, so out of Egyptian slavery, right out here in the middle of the desert, God equips them and gifts them, and they build a magnificent, gorgeous, beautiful tent in the middle of the desert. It's a beautiful oasis in the middle of the sand. He built a place of worship amidst the desert. Well, that's what he did in you. That's what he did in you. He built a beautiful place of worship amidst all of this darkness and all of this vile living and all of this wickedness that's around us. He saved you. He now controls you. He created you and made you new. And now He calls you into the ministry. Can I ask you, have you been saved? Have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins and surrendered your will to Jesus Christ? That's the gospel. Christ came, a God-man, died for your sin, buried, resurrected, ascended to the Father. He lives so you can live also. If you trust and believe in the message of Christ, you too can be saved. Her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed and her hearts are open to the Lord and Now, just before I, I, I give an invitation, I just our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. We're not going to take long, but I want you to think about what the Bible says. Take it seriously. The Bible says, "If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." So, what God did for the Apostle Paul, what God did for the Apostle Peter, what Paul did, what God did for Nicodemus, God does for folks like me and you. He transforms us and makes us a new creation. I'm just going to ask one question, and then we'll have them take, Does that describe you?" Does that describe you? Brother Bryce, I once was dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. Folks, if that doesn't describe you, you're not saved. And I'm begging you to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in Him for your salvation. If you're here today and that's you, In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. I'm inviting you, begging you, pleading with you. Why don't you come down and talk to me during the moment of invitation? Come down. It's your invitation to come and speak with me and tell me personally that you want to be saved. There may be other Christian decisions that need to be made. This is the time to do it. Father, move among us now, we pray in Christ's name. We stand and we sing. Without him, let's stand together. The words are on the screen. Is that you? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You come. It's true. Who needs to be saved today? Is there one? Think about it. have gone over I can remember witnessing to one of my friends uh, he played tailback in our high school and I was coming out of a grocery store uh, not not a grocery store like a rip you know a five and dime and weaver I mean, anyway and I'd been witness to this guy but anyway so he he said something to me about me being a Christian and I hadn't been a Christian long and so I was still bold and shook the corn with him you know and and you know, I, I think about him a lot. Uh, name was David. And uh, that, that guy not long after that, he's a, he was a skydiver. He was a skydiver. And his parachute didn't open. In Weaver, Alabama, right above our little airport. Because I told him, I said, hell is long. When I said hell is hot and hell is forever, David, and, and he, he knows now. Folks, that could be, and I hate to give sad stories, but folks, you're talking about life and death, eternal life and death, when it's coming to the gospel, and you and I have the ministry of reconciliation. We need to be sharing the gospel, amen? amen. Sam's going to dismiss us with prayer.
1: Thank you again, Father, for all of us for the privilege of seeing another day on this earth, and thank you for all the many blessings you have upon Father, be with us as we uh, pray for Brother Dale and his family and the loss of his mother. Let us be there to to love them. And Father, help us again to be a witness for you. As Bryce said, hell is long and it's forever. And Father, we need to witness to people in our own families that don't know you. So Father, let us be messengers to you. Let us mm-hmm. take it to our hearts and take it into a lost world, Father. Father, we pray for those in Ukraine. Bless them. Mm-hmm. We and do, Father. honor and In Jesus name I pray. Amen, amen. amen.